Hello, and welcome to this week's State Hornet News Podcast. I'm Will Coburn, your podcast editor. This week, State Hornet reporter and Air Force veteran Ashton Byers sat down with Air Force veteran and Sac State Communications major John Rayholm to talk about his time in the service and how he's been adjusting to life at Sac State. And here's Ashton and John. All right, I'm here with John Rayome. He is a veteran here at Sac State. Wanted to get a little bit of background information on your experience Absolutely. as a veteran and how it was for you transitioning here at Sac State. Excellent, all right. So what branch were you in? I was in the Air Force for about six years from uh, 2009 to 2015. And when did you join and what made you want to join? It was never a question of if, it was always a question of when. Actually, both my parents were intelligence officers, or not officers, I'm sorry, intelligence uh, in the Air Force. Uh, they were stationed, they met actually in Bedford, England over at Chick Sands. So like I said, it was never really a question of if I was going to join, it was always just when. I originally wanted to go the officer route uh, that wasn't in the cards for me, so I uh, uh, got out of high school in 05, I graduated, and then I was here at Sac State from 05 to about 08 to 09 before um, leaving here at Sac State to go and do the Air Force for about six years. Oh, wow. So you were actually at Sac State before the Air Force, and then you came back to Sac State Exactly. Afterwards. Exactly. Yes. That's it was, uh, you know, c- couldn't get too far from home, no matter how far I tried to get. <laughs> so are you from Sacramento? Um, yes and no. Uh, like I said, with the military parents, uh, you know, we kind of bounced around a lot, but my mother's whole side of the family is from here in the California, like central area. Um, And then my father, him and all of his family are out in New York. When you joined, did you get stationed at a new base? I did. So after uh, bouncing around for a little bit, I uh, was finally stationed out at Hurlburt Field, which is out in Florida, um, right there in the panhandle. So I'm not going to complain about the white sandy beaches right outside my front door. It was absolutely awesome. We were just Never really home, constantly gone on either uh, TDY's trainings or um, deployments. We just, you know, weren't around to enjoy the beaches all that often. What was your job when you were out there? I was an airborne intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance operator. So basically my job was... uh, for lack of a better way to say it, kind of just to find find people that we were looking to find, and, uh, and then they usually had bad days afterwards, um, you know, whether they were picked up or um, taken care of. What do you consider a bad day? Uh, <laughs> for them, uh, generally, if, if our guys were coming to find you, you were going to have a bad day. Um, so they were going to get, get information or, or, or um, you know, take you out of the equation, basically. Um, and it was my job to kind of find those people. It wasn't my job to, to make that determination as to what happened to them, but I would find out, find out where they were. Mm. So I know that you mentioned, um, we haven't mentioned yet, but in our previous discussion that you had deployed. Mm -hmm. So when did you deploy and what was that like? Yeah, so I've actually, I've deployed three separate times. First time I started off in Afghanistan, which um, was that initial, hey, we need to make sure that you're uh, good to go. You're a competent operator, obviously. It was definitely different than the U.S. landscape and lifestyle. But I did find, especially in Afghanistan, there's a real stark beauty flying up and kind of looking at those mountains where it's just nothing. It's rocks, dirt, and maybe some snow if it's cold enough. But uh, you you really start to to kind of recognize what Earth, I guess, has to offer to look at. As weird as that may sound, it was you know on those down times when I when I would you know be looking out the window, that was always kind of real nice to see. And then after Afghanistan, I uh, spent a couple times in Africa, a couple different places there. That was absolutely hands down my favorite place. I would go back there in a heartbeat. Averaged about 114 degrees every day, so uh, I was definitely happy. Uh, I don't like the cold. 
But overall, job-wise, uh, during those appointments, it was good. It was a good experience. I definitely, um, you know, definitely felt like my job uh, had, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not consequences, but um, immediate satisfaction, I guess, that, hey, I've done my job and here's the results of it. Well, so you mentioned when you're in Afghanistan, you, you could get a good Earth view. So were you mainly like in a plane when you had deployed? Yes, yes. So I was uh, airborne intelligence. So my job was to sit on the back of an airplane and, um, and like I said, find people. So I spent, it was, a, it was a lot of time either staring out a window or staring at computer screens um, with my equipment running and, and looking for, um, you know, what, what it is that we were looking for. I guess you weren't on the grounds. Did you ever encounter any of the, the firefight? The Didn't personally get involved in any firefights. Having said that, um, especially in Afghanistan, we did have mortars. I don't want to say necessarily daily, but very, very frequently. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it would get to the point where we would uh, we would hear the sirens going off, and, uh, you know, that's when we would decide to go outside to go do stuff. It, uh, it, it kind of just got to the point where we were... Uh, sort of numb, I guess, to those to those kind of dangerous uh, sensations that you may have here in the States where, you know, you're hearing explosions. You, you don't you don't want to be outside. You don't want to be anywhere near it. And I'm not saying we were going and, and searching out for those sounds, but, uh, you know, that's you just get used to. Oh, that's that's the daily mortar. Those are the daily shells. Africa. Uh, very, very quiet for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't uh, there wasn't as heavy of a presence. And because of that, um, you know, much easier to, to get around without having to worry about any of those things. And was it similar? You were in a plane in Africa? Yes, absolutely. So my job is strictly in the back of a plane. Okay. Um, we, we could bounce around to different uh, systems, which is why I don't have like a specific, I was on this plane. Um, we kind of plug and play kind of technology. But yeah, so no, no particular firefights. We did, we did have to um, pop flares one time. Uh, on the plane, we're, we're not. We, we still never got 100% certainty as to what uh, what was happening, but we had some alarms go off, and so it was just a better bet to do that. Um, so I wouldn't say that I uh, I faced direct con- conflict myself, mm-hmm. but um, we definitely definitely had our fair share of uh, of doing our part, as it were. How long were your deployments? Uh, generally speaking, between three to six months, because we were flying so often. Uh, as a, as air as air crew, you have hours. There's an hour requirement or a limit as to how many you're allowed to fly in seven days, thirty days, things like that. Um, so at about three months is usually when we would be hitting that. Hey, you you can't fly anymore for at least two weeks. It's pointless to have people there. So about three months, generally speaking. What was the transition like for you from active duty to being? civilian world it is much more difficult than i was expecting to be perfectly honest um you know i would always heard it and like i said i mean i had a military family military background so this none of this stuff was quote unquote supposed to be new to me but it is definitely a completely different world especially college level versus uh versus the military standard um you know a whole lot more freedom in college, which is nice, but at the same time, you know, we're expected to be like, oh, this is when work is supposed to get done. This is when it's supposed to get. So that's kind of the lifestyle that you get used to. And so going back to uh, going back to the college where it's more of a work on your own and take your own time and do it. It's uh, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. So I'm not I'm still not 100 percent there. I'm still trying to shake some of the uh, shake some of the civvy rust off, I guess, as it were. But um, but I'm getting there. How did you feel it was as far as transitioning with like your interpersonal relationships as a veteran? How did you relate to other civilians? Uh, so that is, to be honest, that is kind of difficult sometimes, especially, like I said, I, I have to be vague a lot about the details of my job. And so it's, 
it's hard to explain to people what it is you do when you can't explain to them what you do. Uh, it's hard to explain, you know, those, what do they call them? The, the emotional scars, the emotional injury that you may, that, 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 you know, I know personally I came back with. Um, and it's hard to kind of explain those to people when, again, you can't explain exactly what happened. You know, I can give you loose details, I can give you light information, but uh, getting into the ins and outs of things, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. And so because of that, it is, it is somewhat difficult sometimes to, to make that transfer and to have those uh, interpersonal communications with people, or interpersonal relationships. Uh, with people that, uh, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, don't understand. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, but, you know, even coming from the military background, killing from the military family, completely different situation when you're experiencing it yourself, doing the job and doing the service. Right. So you mentioned your like emotional scars. Can you elaborate a little bit? What kind of yeah? I don't. I don't want to get obviously into too much. Um, But uh, so my first, my very first deployment. Actually, if you look on my wrist, I've got a uh, a band, and that is my uh, my buddy Julian. He uh, about two weeks before my deployment was getting ready to wrap up, the plane overcorrected and and basically went into the runway um, at the on landing. Um, I was supposed to, uh, there were talks of me getting onto that flight and I don't mean that in a, like, I, I'm not trying to, Ben, it could have been me, but it, it, it kind of, it, it cuts deep when, you know, he was saying things like he didn't want to go to the flight. He just didn't feel like flying that day. And that was, you know, I mean, it happened. Uh, those were kind of conversations that we had after flying, you know, X number of hours and whatever. And, uh, so that that death really hit me hard. Um, second deployment, one of, uh, one of my good buddies uh, committed suicide um, after getting home and dealing with uh, some of the stress that he uh, you know, was having a hard time with. Um, and then some of the scars, so, some of the things that we were necessarily up to, I didn't always 100% agree with. Um, and so some of the missions that we may have gone out on, uh, some of the uh, results of the exercise, or not exercises, but uh, some of the results of the, um, the missions that we did, they, they stick with you. They stick with you. Um, and it's, it's, it's difficult as a, like I was saying, I'm, I wasn't personally in the conflict. I wasn't, you know, with a gun. I was up in the air kind of playing God as it were. And so those, those are the kind of things that stick with you for, you know, those months and years afterwards. How do you cope with it when you get out and you feel like you lose that sense of camaraderie? Yeah. Um, so right when I got out, it was a lot of drugs and alcohol. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I'm not condoning it. Um, but it, that definitely is a whole lot easier than trying to actually deal with it. Um, now therapy. Um, which can be difficult to get for vets, uh, you know, getting the right therapy, I guess. But I've found a system that, that works for me right now. And I, I've got my buddies. And what's, what's really nice actually is uh, I'm back here at Sac State after about a 15-year hiatus. And um, my buddies from my first attempt uh, here at Sac State are actually just moving back to the area. Uh, so I remember when we were uh, living together in Draper Hall, uh, or, you know, on the same floor and now they're, you know, right down the street, uh, you know, a little bit of a drive, but it, it's, so it's nice to have that 
reminder of, of, you know, what it was before, I guess, for lack of a better way to say it. And, and so that definitely helps. And do you have any, like, family? I do. So like I said, my mom's whole side of the family is, we're, we're all pretty much up in Folsom at this right. point. Um, so we're all right here. I've got the family all right here. And then, you know, like I said, the, the other half of my family, or maybe more mm -hmm. depending on how you look at it, uh, is uh, out in New York still. Okay. And what kind of plans do you have after you graduate? Uh, I'm looking into getting into humanitarian work. Um, I really wanted to get into nonprofit. You know, going back to like I said, uh, bringing bringing kind of like damage and destruction into the world. I feel like it's it's now time that I need to give back. So I really want to work with either vets, um, disabled vets like myself, or um, looking to maybe get in with uh, you know maybe kids coming from a, a rough family or things like that. Okay, and what advice would you give to other veterans who are just transitioning out that are struggling with some of the things that you struggle with? Best thing I can possibly say, as, as, as rough as it sounds sometimes, is just keep going. Especially like this semester, I, I had to switch from being a business major to being a communications major. Completely different way of thinking, completely different way of studying, and it is hard for me. I'm getting there. And it's because I'm just keeping moving. You know, there, there's, I believe it was uh, Goggins, I think was his name, a former Air Force guy. And he was like, uh, you know, you're not done yet. Um, you know, so I wake up every morning and you know what, no matter how bad the day is, I'm, I'm up, I'm not done yet. So we're just going to keep moving and keep doing what I need to do. And we, those friendships, those relationships, they will happen. But you just got to keep moving. All right. Well, thank you, John. I'm Absolutely. really glad that you could spend the time with this interview. and. Hope you have a nice Veterans Day. Thank you very much. You as well. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. In other news this week, Cal Fire announced that the Kincaid Fire in Sonoma County was fully contained Wednesday evening after burning 77,000 acres. For a closer look at a Sac State student affected by the Kincaid Fire, check out the profile written by Kendra L. Rivera on StateHornet.com. And anti-racism author Tim Wise spoke in the University Ballroom Thursday evening about the rise of hate speech during President Donald Trump's administration as a unique program's guest speaker. Wise spoke on the president's failure to denounce his white supremacist supporters and the importance of learning about other cultures and creating dialogue. To hear more about Weiss's speech and to see some of the debate between students that took place there, check out Chris Wong's recap on StateHornet.com. Thank you for listening to this week's State Hornet News Podcast. See you next week.